You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. We're going to be continuing our series called After God's Heart, which is in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible before Jesus came onto the scene. And just a bit of a recap. Uh, Last week, Morris preached about repentance. The people of Israel had realized that they had put their faith in other things and uh, had turned back to God. And uh, now, uh, at the end of the last chapter, we saw how Samuel would go from town to town. He was the the high priest and the judge in the nation. He would go from town to town, um, bringing judgment in a good sense, um, helping people decide what was right and wrong. And that's where we leave things in the last chapter But then we realize that uh, in this chapter, many, many years have passed. And again, Israel is in a bit of a state. Some things are not going very well. And we're going to just read the first three verses of chapter 8 together. If you haven't got a Bible with you, verses are going to come up on the screens around the room. Let's read this together. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now, if you've been following this series with us so far, you'll realize that history is repeating itself. So Eli was the judge before Samuel. He was the high priest of the nation, the guy in charge, and his sons didn't walk in his ways. His sons were corrupt. His sons were making a mockery of the worship in the, in the nation, were taking stuff for themselves. And history is sadly repeating itself. As Samuel, although he was a good judge and a good leader of the country, his sons were also going after things, after gain for themselves and showing contempt for God and the people. But unlike with Eli, we don't see any indication here that Samuel had actually made any effort to stop his sons. So we're going to read on to see what happens. Verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Let's just pray as we get into God's word together. Father, we ask for your help as we uh, dig deeper into your word. We believe that it's all god brief. We believe that it's all useful and profitable for us. Would you Teach us, Lord, as we're in your word together this morning, and do a heart work in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, these elders of Israel, over 70 of them, took Samuel aside and gave him the hard truth. They had seen his leadership as being pretty good, but they were fearful as to what was to come. They saw in Samuel's sons some guys who were rebelling against God's ways. And uh, they said to Samuel, this, it cannot be the case that they lead the country. Change was necessary. They were fearful of what might come next. Their motivation was good, but they, as we're going to see in a moment, they believe that being like the other nations is the answer. Again, they see the problem, but they don't see the solution. 
We see in verse 8 that the whole country was still uh, kind of schizophrenic. One year it would be going after God's ways, and then other years it would be rebelling against God. Still, they weren't really following after God. Their hearts weren't fully after God. And so they demand a king. We can't avoid here the fact that they didn't think God was enough for them, even though God had repeatedly said to them in their history that he would be their king. But they perceived that the system of government in other countries was going to be the thing that would make them successful as a nation. They looked at other nations around them, and they thought, they've got kings, we need to have a king like that. But the reason that they weren't enjoying success as they had previously was that they were not putting God at the center of their worship. They weren't pursuing God's heart. They weren't making their lives all about him and his glory, and they had treated God as a way to get what they had wanted. They had simply treated God as a way to get stuff. And their leaders, as we've seen, had mocked God and his worship. And they think that getting a king will be the end of all their problems. They're, they're convinced that if only they have a king, it will be the end to all of their issues. But really, the only thing that will solve their problem is God himself. What counts is, after, is being after God's heart. Are we after God's heart? That's the thing that counts in our lives. And we see here... Um, really before we come on to what we're going to be spending most of our time here, a lesson on how to handle rejection. So Samuel, who was the leader of the nation, and the elders of Israel pull him aside, and they tell him the truth, and they say, we need a king. We need a king to govern our nation. Samuel, this displeased Samuel. It grieved him. He would have felt rejected. He would have felt rejected. They would have, he would have felt that it was some sort of reflection on him and his leadership, when in reality, they were concerned about what was to come. But he felt rejected. And whether we like it or not, at some point in our lives, rejection is going to occur for us. At some point in our lives, because of the world we live in, we're going to experience some rejection. It might be um, trivial stuff like not being picked for the football team when you, were, when you were a kid, or being the last one as the captains were dividing up the teams, you were the last one who was wanted to be on the team. Or it might be that you weren't invited to a party that you wanted to go to, or a wedding that you wanted to go to. Or it could be really quite serious stuff. It could be that you have known rejection from your family. Maybe your family have rejected you even on the account of being a Christian, that people have uh, turned their backs on you because of what you believe. Or it might be that you've been rejected by siblings or by your parents as a young child and it's really impacted and affected you. Rejection can really uh, scar us, it can, uh, it can wound us and it can impact the way we live our lives. Rejection can lead to us um, putting on a front that looks presentable and looks respectable but inside we're, we're trying to do all we can to get people to like us. Inside, we're trying to make sure we don't put a foot wrong because if we put a foot wrong, we fear that people are going to turn their backs on us. Rejection can really keep us in a cage. It can freeze us. When we've known rejection in the past and we haven't dealt with it, it can lead to uh, bigger issues down the line. When we don't make friends because we fear that if we let people in too much, then they're only going to reject us further down the line. Or we might not share too much of our real self with people. We might be false around people. We might be kind of shallow around people because we're concerned. Well, if only they knew this truth about me, they wouldn't want to know me at all. We can literally uh, hide behind a kind of a facade. You know, we can be uh, looking, doing all we can to look our best, whether it be through uh, your clothes or makeup or whatever it might be. We think, I, know, I must look my best because if they knew what I really looked like, they wouldn't want to hang out with me. They wouldn't want to know me. And sometimes we can even literally lay awake at night wondering, am I loved? Am I? It might not be the explicit thought that goes through our minds, but am I, am I in on that crowd? Do they, do they like me? Do they want me in their life? Rejection 
can scar us and it can really uh, do damage to us if not dealt with properly. And we see here, uh, Samuel, he feels rejected. He feels displeased at what they have said about the, the new leadership that was required. He feels a sense of rejection. What does he do here? He goes straight to God. He goes straight to God. That's the thing that God cares most about when it comes to rejection. Yes, he has comfort for us when we're feeling rejected, but ultimately he, he wants to know how we're going to deal with it. He wants to know, are we going to take it to him or are we going to turn to other things? Because the reality is we do turn to other things when we feel that sense of rejection often. We turn to many things that we think are going to provide for us the comfort that they don't ultimately provide. And God is, is interested in fact, are we going to go to him with our rejection? That's what Samuel does. He turns to God. He prays straight away. We've sung this morning, haven't we? Let the king of my heart be the mountain I run to. Is this where we're turning where, when, when we feel the sense of rejection? So the elders, they pull Samuel aside. They say, you're old. Your sons are corrupt. It's time for a radical change. Give us a king to judge us. He heard it. We don't need you anymore, is what he heard. We don't need you anymore. And so Samuel, he prayed in verse 6. He prayed to the Lord. He took his sense of rejection to God in prayer. This is to be our response, friends. Whether, you receive, uh, whether you've had known rejection in the long-term past, and you know from what I've explained and described, you know that's still an issue for you. Or whether it be uh, more recent rejection where someone hasn't included you in something, or maybe they haven't encouraged you when you've done something good, and you think, oh, maybe that wasn't really appreciated. We must, we must be those who take rejection to God in prayer. God, as we do that, he will remind us. He has love for us that will never run dry. We've even celebrated that this morning. We've heard Romans chapter 8 read out that there was nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So as we, as we go to God in prayer with our rejection, as we uh, remind ourselves of the truth in his word, that there's nothing Nothing that can separate us from his love. We are comforted because we realize that his love is not fickle. His love, it doesn't run dry. It's not, that he, it's not dependent on what we do for him. It's not dependent on us making the right call each time. I'm going to make mistakes in my work or in my family. life. I'm going to make wrong choices and get things wrong. But his love for me is not dependent on what I do for him. His love for me is not dependent on getting it right every time. His love for me, it never runs dry. It's based on his character is based on the fact that he is love. And Samuel knew that. He turned to God. He knew God's presence. We heard, didn't we, even as a young child, he grew in the presence of the Lord. He knew that God was with him. And we, we pray, don't we, and we sing out that we want to be in God's presence. And that I understand, when we're praying that, we're praying really and singing out that we want to know more of God's presence. Okay, We don't ever have to uh, come and twist God's arm to be with us. He is always going to be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Never leave you or forsake you. you. There will never be a time in your life where God will not be present with you. What we're praying for really is that we'll be more aware of his presence and that his presence will manifest itself, that we would just know God is with us. He, you know, so we're not, you must understand this. Many of you will be new to church. When we're praying, God, come and presence yourself amongst us. We're not trying to ask him to be here as if he wasn't already here because he's already here. But we're asking that we'd be more aware of his presence, that things will, you know, that he will come and, and bring healing and, and, and power and strength as we are, uh, are more aware of his presence amongst us. So Samuel knew God was with him. He took his struggles to God. 
And God says, listen, they've not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. In fact, they've rejected me from being king over them from the day I brought them out of Egypt. From the day that I took them out of slavery, they've pursued other gods. And God tells Samuel that he will give them a king, but that Samuel was to warn them about what this king was actually going to be like. That he was going to warn them that this king was actually going to be self-serving. That this king was going to be one that would bring about military conscription, that would bring about self-serving taxation, that would bring things upon the nation that actually would not be a blessing. So what do we do when we're rejected? What do we do when we're rejected? We turn to God, we remind ourselves of the truth. We get into his word and we remind ourselves of what is true. It's not just reading the words, but it's reckoning it to be true, to consider it to be true, to say, this is truth, that I, even though others may have rejected me, I have a God who's the one whose opinion really counts and whose love really satisfied. I have a God who will never let me go, who will never reject me, who will never forsake me because he's made a promise. He's made a covenant with me. We make promises, don't we? And we're pretty fickle. We can break promises quite easily. God cannot do that. He cannot break a promise. That is not something that he does. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's he's not a man that he should lie. So when he makes a promise and a covenant, he will follow through on that. He's a covenant-keeping God. This is what we do when we feel rejected. We go to the God who cannot lie, who's made a promise that we'll never be rejected. Do we listen to the truth when when we feel rejected? Do we listen to the truth? So oftentimes when we've done something we know to be wrong or we've not done something we should have done, we have a little voice in our minds, not usually audible, but we have this sense in which, well, maybe God's a bit disappointed with me right now and he won't want me to come near him. Maybe he needs a few weeks to cool down. That is the voice of the accuser. We must, we must understand that we have an enemy, the devil, who is an accuser. The Bible describes him as the father of lies. It basically means he's the, the boss of lies. He's masquerading as an angel of light, it says. That means that sometimes the things that we might hear, they sound pretty plausible. They sound pretty true. He'll use half-truths to try and fool us and to trick us and to get us off course. We must be in the truth. We must be in the truth when it comes to these things. And really, on the note of rejection, we, a number of people were prayed for after the first service. And I want to just now say we're going to pray for people who have experienced rejection after this meeting. We're going to pray for you because sometimes this can really run deep and it can really impact every day of our lives. It can, really, uh, it can, it can so shape us when we haven't dealt with rejection properly. And I believe there is deep work that God wants to do today. And there's going to be freedom and it's going to be healing. I believe that. So if you're here this morning and you think, already, I know, that, I know that's for me, there will, be a, there will be a moment at the end when we will we'll gather to pray, and we'd love to pray with you. So let's read on. Let's see what else we see in this passage. So verses uh, 10 through to 18, Samuel's warning the people. He's saying, this is what it's going to look like. If you have a king, you just need to be aware of this. And then verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They were adamant they were going to have a king. Israel were having something of an identity crisis 
Because God had called this nation to be his special treasured possession. That they were going to be a great nation who would be blessed and that would be a blessing to the world. God took hold of a man called Abraham who had no kids. And he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless you and your people are going to be a blessing. All nations are going to be blessed through you. His plan for Israel was that they would stand out, that they would be very, very different to the nations around them, that they would bring, they would be good news in the world, that the nation of Israel, because they were living under God's commands, which are good and life-giving, they were going to be a blessing to the world. However, we see here that they had something of an identity crisis. They were envious of the other nations. They had seen the highlights reels of the other nations and thought, we want a bit of that. They'd seen the good stuff that other nations were experiencing, whether it be good economy or uh, good uh, military uh, advance, or whatever it might be, and they thought, ah, that looks good to us. That looks good to us. We want to have a bit of that. And the reality is, for us, we can see other people's highlights reels sometimes, can't we? Whether it be on social media, or it might be even on Sunday where people are coming in uh, with their smiley faces on, yeah, things are going well. I'm so blessed at the moment. And we can think, ah, oh, if only my life was more like that. If only I had what they had. If only I have what they have. If only I had a house like theirs or kids like theirs or a spouse like theirs or whatever it might be. And we can get envious and we can look to our left and to our right and think, oh, God, I'm not really satisfied with what you've given me. I'm not really satisfied with my lot. But the reality is we only see people's highlights reels. We don't remember that underneath the surface, everyone is as weird as us. And everyone's as much of a loser as we are. We don't realize that actually every one of us have deep-seated issues that we need to work through, that we need to get right with God. And yet we look at other people's lives and we think, they've got it sewn up, they've got it together. And that's exactly what's going on with Israel here. They looked at the other nations, they didn't see under the surface, they didn't see that those nations would indeed be struggling with their own problems. And they thought, no, we need to have a king like theirs, because if we have a king like theirs, then everything will be sorted out. This is a bit like a few weeks ago when they go into battle and they lose. They think, oh, I know what the solution is. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's take it into the battle. And then they lost again because they failed to see that the reason they weren't seeing success and prosperity as a nation was that they weren't putting God first. They weren't obeying his laws. They weren't going after his heart. They weren't pursuing God. That was the big issue for them. So again, they see a problem here, but they think the solution is let's get a king. Let's get a king like our next door neighbors. Let's get a king like them. And then we'll be okay. They're seeing the highlights reels of the other nations and they think we must be like them. In uh, Exodus chapter 19, God says this of Israel, Out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was to be the identity of Israel. This was to be their destiny It was to be a nation whose behavior was to be very, very different from the other nations around them. They were to be governed by God's ruling word, but instead, their behavior was governed by what other people were doing. Could this be said about us, I wonder? Could it be said about our individual lives? Are we sometimes more preoccupied with what other people are saying and doing than we are with what God says over our lives? Sometimes do we look too much to the left and to the right and think, If only my life was more like theirs. Or are we aligning ourselves with God's plans? These were supposed to be a different people. They were supposed to be distinct, but instead they wanted to be the same. They said, give us a king like the other nations. 
They were supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to reveal something of God to the world. Instead, they wanted to learn from the nations and be like them. And as a church and as individuals, we, mustn't, we must see that the values of God and the values of the world are so often poles apart. And we mustn't think, we must try and keep in step with the world here in order to try and keep up and be relevant. No, we're looking at God's word and seeing what God's word says and keeping up with God's word. That's, that's who we are as his people. We're to be distinct and different. And oftentimes when we uh, come under God's authority and look to live for God, we are going to look very different. And people are going to say, you're a bit odd. And people are going to say, hang on a minute, get with the program, get with the, 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 current, uh, the current situation of the times. No, we're to be different because we are God's people. We're to stand out. The church, church literally means called out people. It doesn't, church doesn't mean a service or a building. It literally means called out people. People who have been called out to be different, to be radically different. Called out of the world to be radically different. And the Apostle Peter, he writes this to a church that were really struggling with this. They were trying to fit in. They were trying to um, somehow be you know, normal in their circumstances. He says this to them in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. That was people who didn't know God. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation." You see here that Peter's now making a connection between the Old Testament people of God and those that are now in God's family because of faith in Jesus, the descendant of Abraham. It's no longer a a, a racial thing. It's no longer that you have to be a Jew to be in God's people. It's that we now, who have placed our faith in Jesus, who was the descendant of Abraham, we are now uh, part of God's people. And it's it's not a racial deal now. It's about faith in Jesus. We've been called out to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. This is who we are. You may not feel like that this morning, but if you're a Christian, you are called to be a royal priest, part of a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. This is who you are. This is who you are. That's the reality of your identity And then we see here that Peter says, okay, in light of this change of identity, in light of this everything changing about who you are now, now abstain from these things. Don't get involved with these things. Don't go there. He urges people to live as travelers, to live as those that are not really um, putting their roots down firmly in this world because we're living for another destination. It's always that identity shapes our behavior. 
It's always the case that when we read through the New Testament and we see these church leaders who are, who are thinking, okay, Jesus has come now, the Spirit's helping them to understand that Jesus has come, and now we live out our lives out of a sense of a new identity. It's never the case that you see here, right, do these things, because if you don't do these things, God's going to be real mad, and he's going to kick you out of his family, you're going to lose your salvation, or do these things because that's the way to get into God's good books. You know, it's always, always, this is who you are now. This is your identity now. This is who you truly are at your core now because you're a new creation. When you place your faith in Jesus, everything about your identity changes. You're no longer all of the things that may have once defined you. You're now in Christ. And it's the identity that we have now that leads to change in our lives. It's considering that identity, reckoning it to be true. That is what leads to change in our lives. And again and again, we see this pattern of the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church in Corinth in Greece, and they're messed up church. They are doing all kinds of stupid stuff. There's a guy sleeping with his stepmother. They're taking each other to court. They're eating all of the communion meal before the poor people have arrived because the poor people like to work longer hours. All kinds of messed up stuff. And yet Paul doesn't start by berating them. He says, you are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. You are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. You messed up people, God lives within you. God lives within you. And it's from that, it's from that starting point, that is our starting point, that's our identity now. These things shouldn't be so amongst you. This is not what we give ourselves to because we are new now. Our identity is completely different. The Apostle Paul in, 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 uh, in Colossians chapter 2 and chapter 3, you see these amazing lists of seemingly a load of do's and don'ts. And you think, hang on a minute, I thought I was free from the law. And you see this amazing uh, passage where, where the Apostle Paul, uh, he, he exhorts the people to, um, to take off certain things, take off sexual immorality and impurity and evil desires and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and lies. And you think, oh my goodness, we're just going back into a whole list of, list of do's and don'ts. And then he says this, put on... Uh, compassion, put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another, all these imperatives. But what you have to realize is that all of these imperatives have been preceded by Paul reminding the Colossians of who they are, reminding them that they are, they've, been, they've been buried with Jesus in baptism. So when they're baptized, their old life died, it's gone. They've been raised with Jesus uh, as Jesus has risen from the dead. We've been raised through faith in him. We've been made alive. Our debt has been cancelled. We've died to our old life. Our new life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's such a glorious truth. You must, you must remember this when we, when we come to pray, and when we come to worship, when we come before God. Our, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. It's like we've been wrapped in Jesus. That means we can come before God with confidence. Even when we think, I have had, by my own standards, a bad day, or I've had a bad morning. I caved in that area, or I didn't do that when I should have done that. We're wrapped up in Jesus. We're we're hidden with Christ in God. That's our identity now. That's who we are now. And Paul goes on and on and on reminding them, this is who you are now. It's not do better. It's not do better and God will then love you and accept you. It's not you must stop doing that or God's going to come and wipe you out. No, it's you are a completely new creation. Your identity is now completely different. Therefore, these things are no longer befitting of you and your new identity. A friend of mine in the, 
in the church, he was a policeman. When he became a policeman, he put on a uniform that was befitting of his new status, that he is now a police officer. When we become Christians, there's some things that, because of our identity now having completely changed, there's some things we have to throw off. This isn't to earn God's love. This isn't to get into his good books. This is to say, this is no longer who I am. I, can, I count myself dead to that. Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, count yourselves dead to sin. Count yourselves dead to sin. This is a reckon it to be true. Consider it. Don't just read it. Know it. Celebrate it. Rejoice it. I am dead to sin. That means I'm no longer under its power. That means I no longer have to do whatever I'm tempted to do. I can say no. I have God-given power to say no because of his grace that's been shown to me. This is who I am now. My, my identity has changed completely. And you, you must understand that identity and, and, and considering it and, and rejoicing in who we are now, that is the thing that leads to us changing. It's the thing that leads to us saying no to some things because the grace of God has appeared. And now, in view of it, we say, no, I'm not going to go there because that's not who I am anymore. Identity changes everything, that we might live for God. And as we see in these verses in First Peter, that even though some who are looking on might accuse us of wrongdoing, they may see the way we live. They may see our good deeds and glorify God. It's all about God's glory. It's all about bringing glory to him. It's all about him being worshipped and magnified because people see something in us that they say, wow, there must be a God. I have to know this God who's made such a change in that person's life. It's all about God's glory. This was the deal for Israel. It was always about God being glorified. They, they, they were to look different in order that God would be glorified, that the whole world would eventually be filled with God's glory. And this is what it is for us, friends, as his people, that we, as we rejoice in who we are now, as we reflect and consider to be true the new identity that we have, that we would live out that identity, that we would throw some things off, that we would put on some things that are now befitting of our new identity, and that we would glorify Jesus in our areas of influence, in our workplaces, in our family life, that we would bring glory to Jesus as we live out our new identity. You are no longer who you once were. You are not a failure. You are not a disappointment. You are not an addict. You are not the things that you once were. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. Jesus has completely, radically dealt with your old self. It's, it's, it's been dealt with in terms of it's been put to death. You can't deal with something more harshly than that. It's been put to death. You've been baptized and your old life is gone. It's completely gone. You no longer have to go there. You no longer have to go down the ways that you might once have gone. You have a new identity now. You are, if you know Jesus, you are a new creation. You are a new creation. That's good news, isn't it? We need to, need to reckon this to be true. We need to reckon it to be true. And live in the light of it. You are no longer who you once were. I want to finish by saying this. The Israelites, they, they wanted a king that was like Braveheart. They wanted a guy with war paint on who would take on the other nations. Who would shout, freedom! And they wanted this, this king to come and help them dominate the world. 
And the king that actually they got a thousand years later after this was a king that they could not have seen coming. This king didn't come to take, take, take for himself. This king said, I haven't come to be served, but to serve and to lay my life down, to give my life as a ransom. That's the king that we worship this morning. He's a king that he seems to defy all logic, doesn't he? He's the king that alone deserves all worship and service. And yet he came and he laid down his life. And his mate Peter, who we've been reading from this morning, said when Jesus got to wash, went down to wash his feet, Peter says, you can't do that. You can't, you can't serve me. And Jesus says, unless I serve you, you have no part in me. Friends, if you are here this morning and you don't know this king, before you come to have him as your, the king of your life, you need to let this king serve you. You need to let him serve you. You need to let him deal with your sin. You need to let him deal with your shame. That's your biggest need right now. You might think you have many, many other needs, and no doubt you do, and we'd love to pray with you, but the biggest need you have is for forgiveness. The biggest need you have is for that to be dealt with. And this King Jesus, he on the cross has dealt with that. On the cross, he has dealt with it. He's made a way for you. He's made a way for your sins to be forgiven. He's made a way for that to be cleaned away so that you could know him as the king of your life, that you could know him day to day as your king. Maybe you're here this morning and you have experienced rejection as I was speaking about earlier. This morning, you need to know the truth that you will never be rejected by God because your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. And you might think, I have been rejected because the things that are going on in my life are not what I expected. When we sang earlier, you're never going to let me down. Maybe you think, actually, God has let me down. You know, he is working out all things together for the good of those, the good of those who love him and who have been called by him. He's working out good things for you. He's not rejected you. He's not rejected you. Your life is hidden with Christ. He's not going to reject you. You're not going to slip in and out of being hidden in Christ. You're, you're hidden for once and for all time. And we'd love to stand with you and pray with you, particularly if you know that a rejection in the past has, has, has wounded you and it's been a long-term issue and you can relate to some of the things I was sharing earlier where you just know I'm always on edge. I'm always trying to impress people. I'm always trying to, to get people to like me. I'm always, or I'm always holding back because I just know that if they really knew who I was, then they wouldn't want to be with me. We'd love to pray with you. There's going to be, uh, in a moment, the band are going to come and join us and lead us in a final song. There's going to be a prayer team piling up over in the prayer area. We'd love to pray with you. If you are a bit like Israel at this time and you have been looking around you to the left and to the right thinking, I wish my life was like theirs. I wish my situation was different. I, I won't be content until I have what they have. This morning, we'd love to, again, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you've been led to compromise because you just feel, if only I had that, then I'd be satisfied. If I have what my neighbors have, if I have what the neighboring nations have, like Israel were saying, if I have what they have, then I will be satisfied. We'd love to stand with you and pray with you. God is able to bring you out of that. He's able to bring good out of it even. And we'd love to pray for you. Finally, I just believe there's an opportunity here for some to give their life to Jesus this morning. Um, as I said already, you, you need to accept 
before you can say to God, I'm going to live my life for you, you need to accept that he has lived his life for you. Jesus has lived his life for you. He died a death for you. He rose again for you. And you need to accept this free gift of forgiveness this morning. It's an opportunity. Don't let it pass. Don't let it pass. Maybe where you are, as you're singing in a minute, as people are singing, you might just want to talk to God. It really is not impressed by fancy words. You don't need to make your prayer sound fancy. Just talk to him. Ask him to change your life. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him that he's the king of your life. Let's stand together. I'd love to pray for us just as we finish, and then we're going to sing, and there'll be time for prayer. We just put our hands out in front of us just as a sign of surrender to God. Just saying, God, I haven't got anything really to bring. I need you. Maybe you just need to say something to God now. Maybe there's something you need to say to God now. Undo your breath in your heart out loud if you want to. Just, He is here. We don't need to twist his arm to be with us. He's always with us. Just take this moment now, as we were encouraged to earlier, just bring some things to him. Turn away from some things that you've been running after. And count yourself to be a new creation. Count yourself to be in Christ. Reckon it to be true. Rejoice in it. Thank God. Thank you, God. I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer a slave to sin or to fear or to the fear of death. You've come and dealt with each one of those. But I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a saint. But I'm a saint. I'm a holy one, even though so often I fail my status now is as a holy one as a royal priest even because I'm wrapped up in Jesus and my life is hidden with Christ in God Father would you transform us as we consider who we are now would you transform us Lord help us to throw things off that are no longer befitting of our new status Help us to take on things that are now befitting of who we are. King Jesus, we surrender our lives to you. King Jesus, we want to live by your word and what you say. King Jesus, we want to glorify you with our deeds. We want others to see that you are God. We love you, Lord. Come and change us, I pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.